Yeah, it's beginning. Yeah. Beginning. It goes to, yeah. It's, it's yes. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wahda. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Rabbil khalaiqi ajma'een. ربنا ورب آبائنا الأولين لا نحصي ثناء عليه وجل وعلا كما أثنى على نفسه وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله شهادة قول وشهادة عمل والله غالب على أمره ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيب قلوبنا وعزيز نفوسنا وقرة عيوننا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله ما آتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم عنه فانتهوا <تصفيق> ما يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له وما يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له أما بعد Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters أيها المؤمنون I'll begin this khutbah with one ayah among many other ayat in the general field of the khutbah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq This ayah was the first ayah that was revealed to humanity via our and humanity's last prophet may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his And this is an order. Allah is ordering His Prophet and by extension, extension that order includes us to read. Now, the problem we have is it's true we vocalize the words of the Quran. But do we, when we, just to use the word as it is being used, when we read the Qur'an, do we understand what we are saying? Do we think about what we are saying? Your humble brother here has been living in the companionship of the Qur'an for 
only Allah knows how many years. How many exact years. The Quran is made up of around 6,636 ayahs. And it depends also on who's counting. Are the Kufis counting? Are the Meccans counting? Are the Damascenes counting? All of them have different counts. But roughly speaking, let's say over 6,600 6, ayahs. That's the safe way to put it. With all of these ayat, this is, a, this is an overview. With all of these ayat, there's only a few hundred that speak to the specifics of our Islamic personality. Few hundred. There's a few thousand that are more universal ayat. They speak about existence, life, the world, the range of time, ad-dunya wal-akhira. There's a broad horizon to this Quran. It's not just the peculiar free few hundred ayat that speak to the particular Muslim or Mu'min. But if you were to compare the contents of the Quran with the character of current committed Muslims, you will find that we are limiting ourselves to only the few hundred ayat and then releasing ourselves from the few thousand ayat. That's the general view. I don't want to lose my train of thought here. The Quran is stating the facts. One of the problems we live through is that we have a mind that has been influenced by the secular scientific world. We get information from people who have done their investigations, their research, their laboratory work, their discoveries. They've gone through all of that. And they put out for us, the consuming public, Muslims included, they put out for us their, what they call, definitive information. What they are putting out is information in progress. What they say today is not what they're going to say a thousand years from now. What they say today is not what they said, the same type of people, is not what they said a thousand years in the past. So this body of information that's called the, the science, and we're talking about hard science here, we're not talking about soft science. 
We're not talking about the humanities. We're not talking about social, social science. We're not talking about behavioral science. We're talking about the sciences of physics and chemistry and algebra and engineering and these types. So many of us, we accept the, science, the word of science to be somewhat paramount and then the word of Allah to be somewhat conjecture. I'm sorry to say it, but this is, and I'm not including absolutely everyone, but this is the general attitude and the general mood that we are living in. Now I want to tell you to help us all together to elevate our psychology and our mentality whereby the Quran becomes the reference and then whatever information we have within the pool of scientific data Whatever agrees with the Qur'an, alhamdulillah, it agrees with the Qur'an. Whatever does not agree with the Qur'an, we just take a pause there and say we need more time to develop our ideas and our thoughts. Now here are some of the general observations that maybe the average person does not pay attention to when they read this Qur'an, general Muslim. In the Arabic language, when there is an addition of a letter to a word, that means the meaning has been expanded. It could, it, and depending on the word, we could be talking about a qualitative expansion or we could be talking about a quantitative expansion of the meaning of the word. Now, let's give an example. In the short surah that we all know, I hope, by heart, Surah Al-Qadr, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ Laylatul Qadri Khayrum Min Alfi Shahar Tanazzalul Malaikatu Warruhu Fiha There are this word Tanazzal I'm talking about I'm taking the word Tanazzal This is a common word throughout the Quran it has many derivatives but we're, here we're taking the same tense, tanazzal, which is the current tense. Tanazzal, the angels and ar-ruh are accessible in that one night. One night. The similar word in the Quran is tatanazzal the ayah inna ladhina qalu rabbuna allahu thumma istaqamu tatanazzalu alayhimu almalaikatu alla takhafu wala tahzanu 
وأبشروا بالجنة التي كنتم توعدون نحن أولياءكم etc. to the end of this ayah the citation here is the word tatanazzal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said tanazzal it's the same meaning إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا he could have said tanazzalu alayhimu al-malaika just like it was phrased in Surah Al-Qadr. But here Allah subhanahu, and this is by no coincidence, and it's not something that we should overlook. It's something that when we read, we should be thinking about. So as we said, the functions of the Arabic language, when you add something extra, an extra letter to the word, then there is an extra meaning. Not a different meaning, but a, a qualitative or a quantitative extra in the word. So here Allah says, تَتَنَزَّلُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَا اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا تَتَنَزَّلُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ The angels will continue coming and made accessible to them. This is not like in Laylatul Qadr, Tanazzalul Malaika, that's in one night. But when you want to say the same meaning, Tanazzal, but you want to extend its time frame, you say, Tatanazzalu alayhimul Malaika. Which means, as long as you you are saying, Rabbun Allah, and you are straightforward, this access to Al Malaika will become an ongoing feature. Of Alladina Amanu. And then we have in the Quran words like Hassan and Salah, two Quranic words. So if we look at some of these ayat in the Quran in which the word Hassan is used, that would be concerning your own. Personality. You do something. Whoever, and it's talking about the individual who does something hasan, which is something good in the general sense of the word, he will be rewarded or she will be rewarded ten times that good deed. But the preponderant usage of the wording in the Quran is salih wa'amilu salihat you don't see wa'amilu hasanat you don't see that in the Quran so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing in most of the cases alladhina amanu he says wa'amilu salihat which means now the same deed that was hasan to you as an individual becomes a deed that benefits society around you. So Al-Amal Al-Salih is not limited to Alladheena Amanu. It has its benefits extending beyond Alladheena Amanu. The Quran is a book full of barakah. 
it gives and it keeps on giving and we can't say if a person doesn't understand certain meanings of the ayat that he or she is reading that they are not going to be given some compensation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will but for those who have a working mind and they fail to understand the ayat of the Quran then they're going to have to be responsible they're going to be held responsible Allah has given you knowledge he has given you a mind he has given you information he has given you knowledge and therefore when you read the Quran are you behaving like someone who Allah has not given knowledge and has not a person who hasn't been educated you can't consider them the same okay I know I'm going to cite an ayah here that you probably heard many many times Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la taqrabu salata wa antum sukara hatta ta'lamu ma taqulun I think all of us are familiar with this ayah O you who are committed to Allah don't approach a salah while you are intoxicated you're drunk hatta ta'lamu ma taqulun until you know what you are saying in this ayah Allah didn't say to these developing Muslims this ayah wasn't the last ayah revealed in the Quran Islam was still a social force that was developing he didn't tell them don't come and pray until you've kicked the habit no you're permitted to pray come and pray but you can't pray when you don't know what you're saying so if Allah is telling this to a person who is inebriated who's drunk intoxicated if he's saying it to a person like that wouldn't you understand that he's trying to infer to us that we should not be saying in our salah something that we don't know what we are saying of course this is not a direct way of telling us because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his mercy he wants everyone to pray even if they don't know what they are saying but the indirect message is it's better to pray when you know what you are saying the other ayah in the Quran that is sort in, in Surah Al-Furqan which which is sort of a supplement to the general meaning that I just expressed is وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَمْ يَخِرُّوا عَلَيْهَا صُمًّا وَعُمْيَانًا and those who are reminded of Allah's ayat do not fall in their prayer death and blind to what Allah is saying the ayat that he is expressing we say 
a person uh, notice here Allah didn't say وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَمْ يَسْجُدُوا عَلَيْهَا صُمًّا وَعُمْيَانًا He didn't use the word يَسْجُدُوا He used the word يَخِرُّوا عَلَيْهَا They drop in their ruku'ah and in their sujood it's a drop, it's not a rak'ah, it's not a sajda صُمًّا وَعُمْيَانًا As if they are deaf and as if they are blind There's another ayah in Surah An-Nur, ayah number 58. I will not mention the ayah because it's a long one. It's going to take some time to read it and then translate it. But what I will say is, in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ثَلَاثَ marrat Three times during the day. مِنْ قَبْلِ صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ وَحِينَ تَضَعُونَ ثِيَابَكُمْ مِنَ الظَّهِيرَةِ وَمِنْ بَعْدِ صَلَاةِ الْعِشَاءِ ثَلَاثُ عَوْرَاتٍ لَكُمْ Allah is speaking here about, in this general ayah, Allah is speaking about those who are mulk al-yameen. Mulk al-yameen doesn't mean what your right hands possess. It doesn't mean that at all. Even though the literal translation of it is those English words. But it doesn't mean what the English words infer. Muslims, Muslim families take in as a matter of wajib. Individuals who don't have a family structure, orphans, widows, victims of war, they don't have family structures. Muslims have the as families have the responsibility to care for them that's mulk al-yameen so what if someone is in the family he's not from your he's not a biological son or daughter but living in the family allah describes that livelihood having three awrat three private portions of the 24 hour day and he he spells it out in this ayah. من قبل صلاة الفجر وحين تضعون ثيابكم من الظهيرة ومن بعد صلاة العشاء ثلاث عورات لكم. Now we read this ayah. I'm sure you probably read it. I don't know how many times. Has anyone ever thought of the biological clock that we have? Our body is supposed to be tuned into the world around us. The other few thousand ayat that we just skim through them when we read them, our life, our fine-tuning is part of this world that we are in. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking here, let's say He's saying, three private time periods in the 24-hour day. One of them is before Salat al-Fajr. Some studies, obviously I didn't do the studies, some studies tell you the best time of day 
for the function of the human mind is in the couple of hours before Salat al-Fajr. That's when the sharpest a human being can be. If we read about Allah's Prophet, I haven't come across any information that says Allah's Prophet prayed Salat al-Isha and then went on to do other things. Meaning his Salat al-Isha came first, which was almost immediately followed by him going to sleep. We ask our dear brothers and sisters who are in their fields researching the human body, the rhythm of the human body, the biological clock and all of this. What do they think about these ayats? Is there any validity to understanding these ayat outside our personal responsibilities to understand them as far as we relate to a samawati wal ard, to al ula wal akhira, al dunya wal. How does this relate? Allah says, Inna nashi'ata layli hiya ashaddu wat'an wa aqwa muqila. Aqwa muqila. And he says, Wa Quran al fajri, inna Quran al fajri kana mashhuda. All of this has its benefits. But what do you do when we live in a world that has violated? We have, a, we have schedules. You have to wake up. There's an eight or nine hour work day. They define to you when you work, when you break, the vacations you have, the time off you have, and all of it has nothing to do with Allah's scheduling. This is the world. We, this is what happens to us. When we take the few hundred ayat and we forget about the few thousand ayat. And then there's something, also some people, I'm not one of them, but some people, there's a couple of ayat in the Quran that says, وَمِنْ حَيْثُ خَرَجْتْ فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَةً And from wherever you take off, Wherever you go, from wherever you go, orient yourself towards Al-Bayt Al-Haram in Mecca, the Qibla direction. And then there's another ayah in which Allah says, وَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ Qibla," And have your homes facing towards the Qibla. I ask you, we have engineers, architectural engineers, we have construction workers, we have, etc., a whole field of people involved in building homes. Do we have an Islamic society in which the homes are built towards the Qibla? Allah says, and then, as I said, some people, they did this study, I didn't, or studies like this, observations and investigations. They said people, if they leave their home and they just, just upon leaving, they orient themselves towards the Qibla. They are more optimistic or more purposeful in their daily lives than those 
who are absent-minded about this. These investigators even went a, a step further. They looked for homes who had windows and doors towards the Qibla as opposed to homes that had walls that are blocked towards the Qibla and they found a difference in the psychologies of the two types of people living in these two types of residences. And then we have, you know, one of the problems in human society is infertility. Some women cannot give birth. And you have a pharmaceutical industry thriving on producing different types of medications and pills for a woman to become pregnant. In the Quran, Zakaria had a, an infertile wife. The infertility is mentioned in Surah Ali Imran and in Surah Maryam. And what, what were the ayat that were specific to this condition in these two families? قَالَ آيَتُكَ أَلَّا تُكَلِّمَ النَّاسَ ثَلَاثَ لَيَالٍ سَوِيًّا Allah said, The demonstration of my power and authority concerning you is that you do not speak to anyone for three consecutive nights. In the other ayah, in Surah Ali Imran, it says, قَالَ آيَتُكَ أَلَّا تُكَلِّمَ النَّاسَ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَّامٍ إِلَّا رَمْزًا Allah said, my demonstration of power and authority to you is you do not speak to people for three days except by gesticulating. إِلَّا رَمْزًا No verbalization. What happened after this? His wife gave birth. Is there some type of energy that is peculiar to fertility that has to do with restricting yourself from speaking? That's an area that has to be investigated. But this is what happens when we think about ayat in our individuality but we don't think about these ayat in our universality this is what happens and then for those of you who are familiar with the Quran as recitation at tajweed at tartil the laws the grammatical phonetic sound laws that go into the verbalization of the words of the Qur'an. There's idgham, there's ikhfa, there's qalqala, there's these rules, right? Which surah in the Qur'an do we recite without which our salah is invalid? Surah Al-Fatiha. 
If you read Surah Al-Fatiha, it is the least combination of ayat in the Quran that has no rules that are that are peculiar to idgham and ikhfa and these things. As if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it easier for you and me, even the short surahs. The shortest surah in the Quran is Inna Atainaka al Kawthar. That's the shortest surah. And in that in the uh, Surah Al Fatiha is is two to three times longer than that surah. In Surah Inna Atainaka al Kawthar, there is a mud. In Surah Al Fatiha, there's no mud in the normal recitation of it, unless, you know, there's an idgham according to some qira'at, but in the normal recitation, there's no mud. But in Surah Al-Kawthar, إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَر So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even this little observation is missed by us because, as I said, we are involved in a few hundred ayat and not involved in the universal ayat of the Qur'an. Take another example here. I don't want to bore you. And of course there's time restrictions here. But take another example from the Qur'an. Women, the gentle sex. There are four words in the Qur'an that are different words that refer to them. You have النِسَاء You have الْأُنْثَى You have imra'a. What was the fourth one? النِسَاء أُنْثَى imra'a. Anyways, there's a fourth. doesn't occur to me at this time. But the, the point that I want to make to you here is, just for your linguistic knowledge, the word nisa or niswa, both of these are Quranic words and they are plural. There's no singular for nisa or niswa. You know, languages, they have singular, the Arabic has singular, dual, and plural. Other languages, they have singular and plural. They don't have dual. They don't have the two. So the word nisa and niswa they don't have, they only have a plural, that's all. The word imra'ah is a singular and it doesn't have a plural. It doesn't have a dual or a plural, just a singular. Oh, the fourth one was zawj. That's the fourth word that refers to women. Now, when we read some of these ayat in the Qur'an, obviously we're not here to cover all the territory that I am alluding to, but there's a difference between zawja, wife, and imra'a, which also means wife. Because the English language, it doesn't have that finesse, it doesn't have that, that quality of differentiation in the choice of the word. Even though the English, I, I mean, I've co- I'm, I'm working with the language for a long time now, it's, it's quite impressive, I have to say. I don't know other languages, I can only speak for English and Arabic. But it is impressive when it comes to synonyms. So when we look at the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to think when you read 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمْرَأَةَ لُوتِ The wife of Lut. He didn't say زَوْجَةَ لُوتِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِمْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنِ The wife of Fir'aun. He didn't say زَوْجَةَ فِرْعَوْنِ Both of them can mean wife. But when it came to the Prophet, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ قُلْ لِأَزْوَاجِكَ he didn't, he didn't say, And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Adam, Ya Adam, uskun anta wa zawjuka al-jannah. He didn't say, wa So why is it, in one place there is zawj or zawja, and in another place there is imra'a. It turns out when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the word zawj, there is more than just a sexual relationship between husband and wife. In addition to the physical intimacy, there is also an emotional intimacy. But when Allah uses the word imra'a, yeah, there's a physical Union between husband and wife, but that doesn't mean that there is an emotional union between them. You see, in Ra'at Lut, there was husband and wife. One was a prophet and the other one was in denial of Allah. Two opposites, but they were husband and wife. Fir'aun and his wife. Fir'aun's wife concerning Musa was on good terms and faith. قالت ربي ابني لي عندك بيتا في الجنة. She was one who accepted Allah. Fir'aun was one who rejected Allah. But they were husband and wife. Now you take this same thing, and we spoke the other khutbah about Abu Lahab. تبت يدا أبي لهب وتب ما أغنى عنه ماله وما كسب سيصلى نارا ذات لهب وامرأته سي وزوجه وامرأته meaning Allah is telling us here a secret between husband and wife the only thing besides their physical attraction to each other the only thing they strongly felt about and were united was their animosity to Allah's Prophet. I will end this khutbah by saying to you a hadith from Allah's Prophet. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. And this hadith has different types of wordings. I think all of us know the translation of this hadith. The itra of the Prophet, let's say, is not currently physically present. I think almost anyone can agree on that. 
But how about the Quran? The Quran is physically present. And لن, uh, the, the remainder of the hadith, لن يفترقا حتى يردا علي الحوض. They will not part. The book of Allah and the itara of the Prophet will not part company until they ap- approach me at the fountain, the, the water fountain in Al-Jannah. Okay, so if people have difficulties identifying the itara, and this is a fact of life, there's not one definition for the itara, and we have difficulties about that. The way to discover this itara is by what you have available in your own hands, in your own homes. It's as if saying one of them is present but absent, and the other one is absent but present. وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَّابٌ رَحِيمٌ الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and sisters May Allah reward you for your time and your effort being here on this Friday One of the negative aspects that has had a significant impact on our lives is when we have taken the individualistic ayat of the Qur'an and we have practically dispensed with the universal aspects of the Qur'an. So it becomes very hard for some Muslims to speak about tyranny in today's world, to speak about injustice in today's societies, to speak about oppression of the underclasses of the world. And these types of subjects, social injustice, it's difficult. For Muslims who live within a few hundred ayat in the Qur'an to speak about social and even materialistic injustice in this world. And so these, the points that I'm going to mention right now which should come under our Quranic scrutiny not just to be left as some political comments these are not political comments these are issues that have to do with our real world with suffering some people went to Hajj and they shed tears 
as individuals, they shed tears. They remember their lives, they remember themselves, the mistakes, the faults, maybe the crimes that some of them committed, and they shed tears. Other Muslims who cannot go to the Hajj are shedding blood. Which is more observable in Allah's sight? Those who are shedding blood for justice, wanting justice, or those who are shedding tears because of their memories of the past. Some people live in the past and some people live in the future. This is a difference. The Saudi Arabian regime, you see, this is just these three words, Saudi Arabian regime, they're probably not mentioned in 99.99% of the khutbas in the world when it should be a common expression on this day, every week, because of what they have done to the Muslims and to the world. If justice means anything to us, what have they been doing? They've been at war. Now now they find, let me tell you, 13 years ago, this week, 13 years ago, Hezbollah drove the Israelis into a psychological hole where they still are living. They speak tough. They think they have advanced militaries and military technology and military know-how, satellites, fighter bombers, nuclear bombs that's not going to save them it's not going to help them the Yemenis our brothers in Yemen in all of these the Saudis thought ah this is a matter when they began this war yeah, it's a matter of a few weeks and it's all over maybe a, a few months but then it's all over Yemen will come begging to Riyadh and, in Riyadh and Jeddah didn't happen didn't happen. Now, after these painful and bloody years, the missiles are being launched from Yemen into that nest of vipers, the royal family. Their aviation now in the southern quarter the southwest of the country has come to a virtual standstill. Let me tell you, this week, 13 years ago, when Hezbollah drove a psychological spear into the heart of the Zionists, let me tell you what the Mufti of Saudi Arabia, Abdullah ibn Jabreen, said. I'm going to quote him. It is not permissible it is not allowed to be supportive of Hezbollah, the Rafidi Hezb. That's a derogatory word used by certain people pertaining to Shias. 
You and it's not permissible or allowed to make dua for them to have victory. And our advice to the people of Sunnah and Al Jama'ah to relieve themselves of them, to place a distance between them, meaning Ahl al Sunnah wal Jama'ah and Hezbollah. Now there's in here, in the Wall Street Journal, the press here, information coming out that the United Arab Emirates and the Israelis have been having secret meetings. What are they addressing in these meetings? They're addressing Iran, Islamic Iran. That's what they're doing. At the same time, a delegation of the UAE went to Tehran they were speaking, the UAE officials were speaking to the Israelis. I think they know that, the UAE knows that it is losing. The UAE and the Saudis have their proxies in Yemen. Their own proxies are fighting their own selves. The proxies of the UAE are fighting the proxies of the Saudi. A civil war within a civil war. And then the foreign minister of Israel congratulates on Eid al-Adha, congratulates the foreign minister of Bahrain. That's like saying Satan is congratula- congratulating a demon. One of the news items this past week, another detainee in a Saudi prison passes away. The Saudi king has met with the token president of Yemen, who's living in one of the hotels in Saudi Arabia, has met with him in Mecca. Listen, at the same time they are telling Muslims don't bring politics to the Hajj, they are having political meetings in the Hajj. Who are we? Who are, are you a politician? If you wanted to if we Muslims from all over the world, when we go to Mecca, are we politicians? We are just Muslims. And we can, can we can discuss our affairs. We can express our bara'a from al-mushrikeen. As is required by Surat, al-bara'a, Surat Bara'a. And then they do this in front of our own eyes. And no one wants to say anything. Now there is this side. If we can't say anything in our in Allah's house we can't express ourselves around the haram in Mecca is it any does it surprise anyone now that there is a war in the making in Kashmir a war in the making and we're supposed to stay stay silent just like they say don't bring politics to Mecca they also tell you don't bring politics to the masjid they want to kill us. And we're supposed to be silent. We're supposed to act dumb. No. That generation is gone. When we were silent, that was in the past. 
This is a vocal generation. The security minister in colonized Palestine said the status quo in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa should change. By that he means that Yahud should be able to go to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and pray there where the Muslims are praying. Yeah, they want to do it like they did in Masjid Al-Khalil in Hebron. A section for Yahud and a section, they want to do this in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now what are you going to do? You're going to remain silent? They begin to do things like this, they begin like this, and we don't know where they're going to end. Two American congresswomen wanted to go to Palestine because they support BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions against the Israeli colony in occupied and colonized Palestine. Then the Israeli government says, we don't want to give you permission to come here. These are U.S. Congress women. Because they are Muslims, no one brings this up. Because they support the Palestinians, not, it's not anyone's right to support the Palestinians. Because they support a peaceful BDS movement around the world, they're not supposed to go there. And ta- speaking about this, think about think about it, especially you Muslims here in the Washington D.C. area. Think about this: two women were elected to the U.S. Congress, and two other men who are Muslim are in the U.S. Congress. Four elected Muslim officials in the U.S. Congress. I'm not here trying to promote the Congress. No, I'm just pointing to the issue that there are elections. The result of which we have four Congress persons who are Muslims. And in Washington, D.C., in the Islamic Center, Muslims cannot elect. What does that tell you? It, th- this speaks volumes, not only about the system that doesn't permit elections in the masjid, but about the Muslims who don't want elections in the masjid. What do you think? This is an easy subject. Run it through your mind at your leisure when you have time with yourself and see how this looks. Bernie Sanders, this is not a Muslim speaking, brothers and sisters, Bernie Sanders, someone who's running for president of the United States, he says, the U.S. could leverage aid to force Israel to change its policies. Oh, not the, not, not the person in the White House. This person in the White House now, he is following the Israeli diktat. Mossad and the Israeli officials, they, their waswas went into high gear. And they misled, they misled the President of the United States. He's misled, he's a businessman. Why did anyone call him President? The businessman of the United States. They misled the businessman of the United States and they misled the filthy rich Petro-Arabians. They misled them in regards to Yemen. They misled them, they thought they are going to 
caused the Islamic Republic of Iran to bend over forward when they captured, I don't know, a month and a half ago or so, one of the vessels in Gibraltar. What happened recently? And how did the Islamic Republic respond? Okay, you take one of our vessels, we're going to take one of your vessels. And they took one of their vessels, and what happened after almost a month and a half? The British cried uncle. And they released the ship that the U.S. told them to seize in the Gulf or in the Strait of Gibraltar. If the Islamic Republic of Iran did not do anything like that, if they didn't take one for one, if they didn't follow the biblical verse, an eye for an eye, these people wouldn't have released the, the tanker. The Iranian, they wouldn't have released it. That's because that's the only language they understand. They're not like Arabian officials. The Arabian officials, once they realize that Trump is not going to go and support them and secure their vessels in and out the Strait of Hormuz, when they realize, they came here to Washington. What do you want? Tell us. What do you want? And they opened up. The Saudis, the Emiratis, the Qataris, they opened up their, their, their treasuries. There's hundreds of billions of dollars we're going to buy from your military industry. And when they, when, then when, when this businessman in the White House said, I'm not going to protect these, these ships in the Strait of Hormuz. I'm not going to protect them. You protect them. You, you, England or Britain, European countries, Japan, China, whoever you are, you protect your own uh, ships. What does he mean? He said, well, he wants to be paid. They understood. He wants to be paid. And when Britain, listening to what he had to say, figured out he's not going to come and protect their ships there, he said, we might as well release this, uh, this Iranian tanker. Bolton went over there, pleaded with them, keep this tanker under your control. Don't release it. And they released it. Why? Because there's a principled position, not like these Arabian rulers who come to Washington, D.C. Just like the ayah says, they, they, they know what a sajda is. Their sujood is to their idol here in Washington, D.C. We say this as a matter of principle, as a matter of seeking justice. And there's a lot of other things to be said. I'd just like to end this second of the two khutbas here by referring to what is happening in Saudi Arabia considering Ethiopians. Only have a couple of minutes. There's a Saudiization policy going on, meaning that the Saudi regime wants to throw out all non-Saudis and give the jobs to the Saudi population. So when it comes to these Ethiopians, many of them have been... Imagine the condition that Yemen is in. In the past four or five years, and before that, they were crossing from Africa into Yemen. And from Yemen they were trying to cross, this is a war country, into Saudi Arabia. And these Saudi guards or military personnel at the border 
they humiliate. In one incident, they took a person, an Ethiopian Muslim. They took everything he had on him, his money, his passport, everything he had on him except for his clothes. And they burned it right in front of him. This is the treatment that they... In the past, this policy of Saudiization went into high gear in 2017. Just two or three years ago. And since that time, they've expelled more than 300,000 Ethiopians back to Ethiopia. Not to speak about the humiliation. Urinating on them. Putting them in detention cells in which they are living with their waste. Their urine. Jumping on them. Literally jumping on their bodies and saying, you dogs, you animals. What more? How much more humiliation? And it's, it's hush hush. Where did you hear about this? Even some of you who go to Islamic sources, where did you hear about this? Even some of you who go to pro-African sources, where did you hear about this? This is what's being done to us. A Muslim from Ethiopia is a Muslim before he's an Ethiopian. He belongs to Mecca before a Saudi belongs to Mecca. Why are they doing this? Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama Rabbana la tu'akhidna in nasina aw akhta'na Rabbana wa la tahmil alayna isra كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون
وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله 